This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Everything Went Black. Composer Chris Bozzone returns. A while back, Chris came on primarily to talk about Cadabra Records and the impending Nightlands Festival, which was an excellent event that took place in South Jersey and showcased some of the incredible stuff that's going on at Cadabra Records. If you like weird fiction and cosmic horror, gothic horror, that sort of thing, Cadabra Records is the place to go for scored narratives. It's uh, spoken word with an incredible score. Chris does the lion's share of the work. And if uh, you dig H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert Chambers, that sort of thing, that's the place for you. We take a bit of a deeper dive into Chris's background this time around. There's also some forthcoming Cadabra Records news that we talk about. And um, yeah, it was a great time. Chris is awesome. And uh, definitely check out Cadabra Records and try to make it to some of the events that we talk about. After you're done listening to this, be sure to support the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse shows. It's an elite Illuminati group focused on providing top-notch media for you guys out there. In a world of mediocrity, we stand opposed to that. Kicking off the week, we have Horror Wolf 666, brought to you by Brandon Legion. Tuesday, we have Into the Necrosphere, brought to you by Jackie Smith. Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black, the show you're listening to right now. Thursday, aka Necro Thursday, is the day that Necromaniac's horror podcast drops. Friday, we have Break the Apocalypse, which features my co-host, Mike Scandato's brother, John Draper. Saturday is a day off. Sunday, Carl Hikara comes at you with soul knocks. And lurking in the recesses, Iblis Manifestations comes to you via the conduit of all... via Cheyenne of the incredible band... Trivax. Cheyenne is too much of a free spirit to stick to a schedule, so he just feels the vibe of the universe and presents one of these shows to you whenever the stars align. If you want to support the show, aside from telling your friends about it, you can check us out on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get bonus content, for $5 a month, you get early access to all of the regular stream shows. And for $25 a month, you can become a sponsor. 
You get one ad read a month. It could be on anything. You can do it for as long as you want. And that's the case for all the other levels. You could do it for one month or for all eternity. Welcome back, Chris. It's great to hear from you again. Thanks so much, Mike. Excited to be back. Yeah, it's like uh, every now and then I'm like, I, I have to get Chris back on. We had such a great conversation last time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really psyched to be back. And uh, I agree. It was, it was really fun. And uh, also having uh, John Paget a couple of weeks ago, that was kind of, I guess, the bridge to start us uh, talking again about doing another episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've been killing it lately. I've really been enjoying the the show and and assorted shows. Everything from the great pageant discussion that people should definitely check out if they haven't already, to the recent True Detective uh, dive in you did, and also on the other show uh, covering some really personal favorites of mine, such as Lamora and uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, and a little before that, Messiah of Evil. So yeah, the You've been offering so much great stuff to listen to lately. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, Lamora, Messiah of Evil. And there seems to be this kind of grouping of films from that early 70s to mid 70s era. That's kind of like the American nightmare. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the best book on that 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 I've read that is really a, a massive body of work is Stephen Thrower's Nightmare USA. Oh, and damn. Okay. It covers all of those films and, and so many more. I think it's, you know, 600, 700 page book with so many great essays on, on that type of cinema. And it's really exhaustive and um, insightful and funny. And yeah, it's, it's a really fantastic book. Uh, my favorite of its kind. And Stephen Thrower, of course, being the, the great writer who, you know, um, penned the book on Lucio Fulci, Beyond Terror. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, a musician in his own right with such legendary groups as Coil and then later Cyclobe and so forth. So, yeah, love Stephen Thrower's work. You know, much to my chagrin, I have to say that I did not know of that book's existence because just in the recent months of us talking, you know, at the podcast talking about the American nightmare. I'm like, man, someone should write a book about this stuff. And uh, maybe I should write a book about these things. <laughs> and I was like, damn, there's already an existing uh, material out there. Well, that doesn't mean you can't still write it. And yeah. uh, I hope you do. That would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I have a bunch of different writing projects. I'm, I got the works right now. And that's, that's stuff like that is definitely on the, um, on the list. And you, you mentioned the true detective thing that actually sprang from um, an essay that I wrote, which at some point I'll probably publish either online or, you know, try to collect it somewhere. And uh, that's, there's a part two to that show that's only on our Patreon, which covers more of the uh, philosophy and literary connections to um, that first season. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I listened to the initial episode and it was, it was really thorough and um, made me want to revisit the show for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk. There's a bunch of stuff going on either with Cadabra Records, which you're an integral part of, and also with your own musical endeavors with the Seer and uh, the, you know, the record that came out recently and, uh, and an upcoming live event 
which we're weeks away from. So uh, we had uh, the Nightlands Festival earlier this year. So this thing that's happening at the end of September is kind of like uh, an abbreviated version of that, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really exciting. Jonathan had the great idea to Jonathan Dennison, the founder and label head of Cadaver Records, to start a new series um, that will be part of the ongoing Cadabra subscriptions and a new kind of line of records that is going to be called Haunt. And the first Haunt record will be Charles Baudelaire's Flowers of Evil. And that record has already been recorded and it's one of my personal favorites of recent times. So it's a, I wanna say about 15 or 16 Baudelaire poems from the collection of Flowers of Evil. And Lawrence R. Harvey read it, and I did the, the soundtrack for it. And that isn't a live record, but some of the forthcoming haunt records will be live recordings in the, the music studio that I work out of. And that's called Retro City Studios in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. And um, basically, um, there's going to be these series of shows on Saturday, September 30th, the last day of September, and then the first day of October, Sunday, um, October 1st. And on the 30th, I'll be um, working with Robert Lloyd Perry, who, you know, him and I have performed um, The Willows and Count Magnus by M.R. James, um, The Willows with Algernon Blackwood, of course, by Al Algernon Blackwood. And that was done um, at Nightlands. And we'll be doing a, a live recording version of The Willows um, that evening and on the 30th. And then also um, Malpassant's The Horla. And that's going to be recorded specifically live for this new Haunt series. And then on Sunday, October 1st, um, Anthony D.P. Mann will be performing Robert W. Chambers' The Mask, and then also selected poetry by Edgar Allan Poe. And again, those will be those performances will be recorded for future live um, uh, Haunt series records. So it's really cool because these are intimate perf live performance events that not only serve as a kind of unique bird's eye view into the recording process of a cadaver record being performed in front of you that will be an actual forthcoming record. But um, also, you know, uh, in the studio in which the soundtracks are recorded when I'm doing the soundtracks and, and so on and so forth. So it's a beautiful studio and um, the acoustics are just phenomenal and there's a really good speaker system. So we did one with John Paget last summer for uh, Thomas Ligotti's The Clown Puppet and also performed some Ligotti poems like I Have a Special Plan for This World and This Degenerate Little Town. And, you know, it was, it was a really phenomenal performance that John gave. And it was just so great to play the, the soundtrack live with him and have a pristine sounding recording from it. So we're really excited to continue this process and start this new Haunt series. And the Haunt series is really kind of throwing throwing light on key titles within weird fiction and strange fiction, um, but ones that might not have the same mass appeal that, you know, you could um, warrant 
pressing a thousand copies of or something like that. So these are more um, uh, oddball titles for vinyl collectors, but really essential within the canon of weird fiction. Yeah, that's killer. I, I will be at the October 1st show. The September 30th evening is... I will be attending at the, uh, the Mayhem show out that night, so I will not be able to watch no. uh, night one. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you'll be making um, the Sunday performance. That's awesome. And so glad that you're seeing something so cool the night prior. Is, is Mayhem uh, playing their, their classic album, or is it kind of an over, overview? Is Attila going to be there and all that? I've kind of lost track of the yeah, latest. Yeah, well, they're supporting Cannibal Corpse, so they're probably going to you know, play maybe a 40-minute set that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be uh, – we got those tickets – like a while back and I was like, Oh man, the first night of, um, of this event, the haunt. Um, but the cool thing is that, uh, the second day is, uh, the mask by Robert W chambers. And, uh, that's one of the first four stories that, uh, makes up the King in yellow, um, collection, you know, the, uh, Carcosa mythos. Absolutely. Yeah. Anthony and I were fortunate enough to do, a really fun seven inch a few years back called Carcosa. And it was the, the poems that are within the King and yellow collection and kind of bookended it with, you know, the, the intro of Casilda's song, the fictitious play that runs through the book and so forth. And um, it, I'm really glad to be returning to that text and doing the mask uh, as I think it's a, a really beautiful and unusual tale that has a lot of kind of Poe connections in overarching ways. So I think it'll be a really great pairing that night with select Poe poetry. And, you know, a lot of the poems that will be performed that evening will be some of the real classics um, within the, the Poe cycle of poems. And uh, just um, for some crossover, we were talking about the true detective uh, thing I did earlier. Now, a lot of that, um, there's like pieces of dialogue in that season of the show, uh, specifically where uh, they refer to you uh, like, you know, black stars and, you know, that kind of stuff. Those are, that's actually out of, uh, I think, the Casilda's, um, the, one of the poems in there. That's actually dialogue that's lifted almost exactly from those uh, pieces. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of kind of, you know, I have to kind of refresh on it, but I, if I recall correctly, it's a lot of kind of patchwork of odds and ends from from different bits and pieces. Yeah, but heavily from that piece, like that um, mm -hmm. the King in Yellow, Casilda's uh, song, I think it's what it's called. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> we're getting off topic here. But uh, now the question about the Willows um, at Cadabra, at the... Um, I'm sorry, the uh, Nightlands Festival. That version that was performed was a slightly abridged version of the story, wasn't it? Yeah. So Robert Lloyd Perry, um, he did an absolutely stunning job adapting that. Because if you were to read it unabridged, it's about two and a half to three hours. Yeah. That doesn't really lend itself to a live performance that most people would have the patience to, to sit through for the entirety of it. So he, he, you know, just kind of got to the, the, the core of the story 
And, you know, it's a story that has a very intentional pacing and it, it goes back to a lot of recurring elements and so forth. So I think he did just a phenomenal job at getting to the heart of that story and the terror found within. So, yeah, you know, this version that we'll, we'll be performing again um, on this September 30th is approximately 55 minutes to an hour. We did a record version of it, a studio version that's coming out actually around that same time with luck. It'll be in hand by the time of that show and copies will have arrived, et cetera, of, of the full length vinyl release. And I believe that clocks in around 55, 56 minutes. So no. Robert actually went through this text and created a, like a, a script based on that? that. That's what he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Robert, Robert is, is just a stellar at, uh, you know, adaptations and his kind of own touches on classic weird fiction, you know, whether it's MR James or um, the willows by Blackwood in this instance, and also he's done that with um, Lovecraft as well to, for some stories that he's performed all around Europe. And sometimes he travels the States as well. I actually have that record in my, uh, my cart right now over at the uh, Cadaver Records site. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I got, yeah. I got three records in there right now. I got the willows, you know, which is a pre-order you know, or maybe by the time I actually buy it, it might actually be available, but um the Fabio Fritzi uh, from the Archives, Volume One, and the Fabio Fritzi, the Beyond Composers Cut. Oh yeah, those are all, those are all fantastic choices. Um, the Archives one is a really fun record. You know, it's everything from you know kind of prog rock jams to disco songs that are really fun. There's one particularly insanely catchy song that always gets in my head whenever you know for days on end after i listen to it again and then the composer's cut is just you know absolutely legendary a, a new rendition from a few years ago of, of fritzy going back to the studio and kind of doing you know the, you hear about the director's cut of a film uh but this is kind of the, the composer's version of going back to a classic score and he just did the same exact thing for um lucio fulci's zombie and the recording just came out so beautifully and crystalline and um yeah it's just it's really an amazing addition to the zombie um, catalog of the different iterations that have come out over time so this is a to make clear both the beyond composers cut and zombie composers cut they're brand new versions brand new studio recordings and zombie just came out so yeah that was actually a follow-up question i had is so these are these are not existing recordings that he had in an archive somewhere. These are completely new versions of these songs. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. Oh, so, wow. you know, he's been touring for, I want to say over 10 years now with a core group. That's his Fritzy to Fulci group. And, you know, they're, they, they're touring around the world playing the classic Lucio Fulci scores and more um, as Fritzy's career is, is so varied and, just a legendary, but you know, these are, he took his band that he's been working so closely with over the years back into his own studio to record new renditions that have, you know, their own little touches and new elements. And, you know, maybe you swap out an original synth part with a classical guitar line or vice versa. And uh, yeah, they're, they're just 
really perfect new versions. So, uh, you know, even if you're, you're someone that's hardcore and has three or four uh, versions of the original recordings, you don't have this because it's brand new. Yeah, that's what I was leading up to. So anyone out there listening, if uh, you're a Fabio Fritzi uh, completist, this would be perfect for your collection then. Absolutely. Yeah. Really great stuff. Some of my favorite records of, of recent years. And actually, um, Fritzy's and his band are playing in London at the end of October. I want to say it's October 28th, but I, I might be a day or two off. Um, but he's, he's him and his band are playing in London, a premiere of the new zombie composers cut set to the film. So with Beyond, he did an amazing tour where him and his band were playing full blast to the film. And then they would do a set of the Fitzy to Fulci things afterwards. And in London this, uh, this October, the band is, I think, premiering the live version of, of Zombie Composer's Cut set to the film. Now that uh, Zombie Composer's Cut, that's out of, that's out of, out of stock right now, right? You guys are going to reprint Oh, is it? it? I, I think so. I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I, I, maybe, maybe not. Um, huh. But I, I, I think you might still be able to get get copies. There you go, man. You got to pick these up while they're uh, while they're hot. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that that's that's uh, since I don't have the um, the the Beyond in my hands yet, I uh, looking forward to checking that out. Yes, and both uh, the Beyond and Zombie Composers Cut. Absolutely beautiful, extraordinary art by Jeremy Hush on in both uh, cases. Yeah, I'm going to get Jeremy on the on the podcast as well at some point. Um, you know, he's a. I mean, aside from his artwork, he's got a ton of other extracurricular stuff going on. That's interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. Jeremy's just a phenomenal guy and artist. And I actually just bumped into him a week or so ago. A friend of mine was taking his dog on a walk to some dog park and we, we bumped into uh, Jeremy and Sophie doing the same with their dog and some of their friends. <laughs> I have to say, man, there's quite a few of the artists that provide artwork for these releases that, I, that are fr actually friends of mine, like Jeremy. I've known him for years. Paul Romano, I've known him for years. Uh, Joe Kinberger, he's someone that, that I've known him since like the mid nineties actually. And uh, it's really cool to see yeah. these guys like, working on such cool projects. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, Jonathan is just uh, unparalleled in the talent that he's able to pull together and get people to, you know, um, band together to do things that have never been done before. Um, and quickly going back to um, the, the Haunt series, I forgot to mention that we want this to be, and Jonathan envisions it to be an ongoing series that goes beyond this fall and entering into spring of next year and something that, that keeps happening over time as these, you know, back at Retro City Studios um, where I record out of. And um, the, the idea and what we hope for in the spring is that Lawrence R. Harvey will come to the studios and will do a new set of the Haunt Records during that time. That's awesome. So this, um, the studio, let, let's, uh, what kind of setup is over there? It's like, that, that's where you record all of this work, besides from the yeah. live setting. So what, how does that work exactly? Yeah, well, you know, I was really lucky in that um, 
a few of my childhood friends growing up, they're all musicians and we're all very close still all these years later. Um, and they started a studio in around 2008 and in, in Germantown, Philadelphia. And, you know, they, they killed themselves to make it top of the line studio. And, uh, you know, a lot of big recording artists go there over time, et cetera. And I've just had access to it through knowing everybody that, that originally founded it. And, um, one of the founders is one of my closest collaborators and friends, Barry Knob, And he performed with me, um, at all of the, the Nightlands shows the, the full day shows at Nightlands, uh, this June. And Barry's produced every single thing that I've done of value, whether it's, you know, the Cadabra soundtracks and then the other works that I do. And he also does, helps out with a lot of brilliant arrangements and so forth. So, you know, Barry and I have a really close working relationship where we've been doing this for so long, um, recording together that I don't really have to say much to him and vice versa, because there's kind of this... Um, psychic understanding when we're working and that's kind of what i prefer because you know i don't when i'm in the studio i just want to kind of get things done and, and be a workhorse i don't really want to talk about it or think about it because so much of it is, is working off of instinct after already doing stuff yeah not having to deal with the technical aspect of recording is always a plus when you're trying to make an album or you know com compose a piece of uh of film music or something like that Absolutely. You know, I found that uh, for me, doing the tech stuff and worrying about that just put it over the edge for me in terms of it being anxiety ridden. So the fact that I can just focus on the performance and what I want to do with the communication and so forth, it just takes such a load off. Do you have a background in production at all? That's, that's something I've never actually asked you about is like uh, your background and you know, composing and, you know, the technical stuff and that. Yeah. Well, I mean, y yes and no. Um, I'm not a very tech person. I kind of hate technology. You know, I'm glad that it exists and that I know people who can utilize it well, but I don't like doing it myself. So, you know, I, I studied film composition and film sound design and scoring and, you know, uh, studied film as well and have, made some short films and done soundtracks for those short films, made music videos and so forth. So, you know, I have a pretty varied background in that respect. And, you know, I've, I've made a, a few short films that, that had some notoriety uh, on a small scale. Like I, I did one film that co-directed one film that I did the score for as well, that, that David Lynch selected oh. to, um, to premiere alongside the first major art retrospective of his, his visual art and initial short films at PAFA in Philadelphia. So that was a, a cool moment in time. Yeah, David Lynch has a connection to Philadelphia. Like I, I, he, either, he lived there for a number of years and I think yeah. he went to art school in Philly, didn't he? Didn't he? Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, before he moved to LA, he lived in Philadelphia for a long time. And, from what I understand, you know, that was a major influence on Eraserhead because the industrial nature and kind of city in decay landscape element or elements from Eraserhead kind of came from him living in, I think, pretty frightening parts of Philadelphia 
early on as a as an art student and filmmaker. So I'm taking it that you're you're also a, a big Lynch guy too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's the two Davids for me that got me really into cinema in my teenage years. So David Lynch and David Cronenberg. So they were kind of the initial directors that, you know, it was like, oh, okay, I want to follow someone's entire body of work and see everything that they've done. So, yeah, you know, I think, and Cronenberg on a, on a really big level for me in terms of just being fascinated by his very unique body of work. But, but certainly both directors were kind of touchstones in um, uh, understanding cinematic language more and having a deep respect and love for cinema. So with the film work, aside from composing the scores and doing sound design, you, you directed or had, you know, wrote a script or what, how, how did all that stuff come together? Oh, uh, well, yeah, this, this was back in 2015, the, the David Lynch short. Um, so basically a good friend of mine, Dave Barbary, who's a filmmaker and he actually made a cadaver documentary about the at the mounds of madness when that box set came out, the six LP box set, he, um, he made a, a short form documentary about the making of that, where he interviewed Jonathan and he interviewed me and cause I did the soundtrack for that. And then, um, he, him and I interviewed Jeremy at the convent and, um, and it kind of covered that. So anyway, Dave reached out to me one day randomly. I was living in New York city at the time. And he said, oh, you know, there's, there's this competition to make a film that David Lynch and his studio will, will watch and, you know, potentially select to screen with his art because there's going to be this huge exhibit of his visual art, et cetera. And um, he said, but we have to do it this weekend if we're going to do it. And he, he, lives in, he was living in Philadelphia at the time. I was living in New York, as I said. So I said, all right, this is like a Friday night. So I said, give me, give, give me the night and I'll, 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 I'll get back to you tomorrow. And I wrote something. I wrote something and I went to Philadelphia that morning and we filmed it. And then we had one day to edit it. And then I did the score and then we submitted it that Monday or something like that. And then it was, it was selected and got second place. So it was kind of neat. What was the name of the piece? It's called Mirrors. Mirrors, okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's actually on your, um, yeah, on your website. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Oh, that's cool. And then, and then I, I wrote um, a short film idea that um, that I, I, we filmed. Dave and I filmed. I directed it, and this this it was one of those days where it was in a forest. And we were running and gunning it, filming all day, what would have been normally like a four day shoot or something like that. And this, it was so, the wind was just shrieking so much that day that we couldn't use the sound, unfortunately. So I turned it into um, a, um, a, a, a music video for a, a project of mine called Seer. That's a collaboration with the film and concert hall composer, Peter Scardabello. Um, for the the Yugath Records label um, in out of Providence, Rhode Island. Actually, that, that record's uh, pretty awesome. I picked it up at the pre-show for Nightlands. 
Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're really proud of that record. You know, Pete is just a, a master at creating really cinematic, massive soundscapes. So I kind of wrote these skeletal songs on synthesizers and harmonium and piano and then, you know, sang to them. And then he created this whole world of sound. And, you know, we were very much inspired by films because I kind of view those songs as cinematic songs. They're, they're kind of each like their own little film, if you will. So kind of drawing from filmmakers like Andrzej Zhuwalski and Valerian Baracek and, uh, uh, you know, Nicholas Rogue, uh, Kenneth Anger, uh, and then Italian horror films and, you know, things like uh, Jess Franco and John Rowland, stuff like that. So that's that's kind of it's like it's it's interesting because I kind of when I when I wrote that record and when Pete and I worked on it I was more thinking about cinema than I was about you know being inspired by music. The music was all kind of subconscious. So in your mind there was like a narrative playing when you're writing this material. Yeah, absolutely. I was more thinking of each song as like its own short film, embodying more of a cinematic spirit than a particular strain of types of music. Wow, that's really, really interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very, very uh, novel approach to writing music. Yeah, well, you know, it, it just kind of, it just kind of made sense. In that was the headspace that I was in at the time, and then, um, you know, uh, Pete just has this knack for creating really beautiful soundscapes with everything from string arrangements to Middle Eastern string music to, you know, really blasting bass tones and, and pro and uh, program drums. You know, he's, he's also deep into black metal and has a project um, that's really phenomenal called, um, called Sky Shadow Obelisk. And it, you know, it's very much inspired by, um, Stuff like Death Spell Omega, oh, yeah. and, and we're actually we're working on a follow-up Sierra record right now that is is more metal than anything else, but it it, it also has, um, you know, continuity of the sound that is on the Glimpsing to Oblivion LP as well. That project's called Sky Shadow Obelisk. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna look, look that up. Yeah, and and Pete plays virtually everything on that so you know he's a phenomenal drummer and then he also you know writes all of the sick guitar parts and and so forth so, now the synth is that your your main instrument is that when you compose and sit down to write is it with like a synthesizer setup um it depends it depends on what it is whether it's soundtrack work for cadabra or, you know, the, the other stuff that I do for Yagath. Um, I, I, I tend to really like writing for guitar and piano at first and kind of gathering ideas on acoustic guitar and acoustic piano, um, in, you know, because they're so pure. And then once you kind of have ideas flowing, you know, okay, what would it sound like? with electric guitar through delay or re heavy reverb or what have you. And then, you know, naturally for synthesizers, sometimes ideas come completely from how you program the sounds because 
whenever I'm doing synthesizer based work, I don't like using or really ever using presets of any kind. I like creating, putting a lot of time into creating unique sounds that you're not going to hear elsewhere. So that's a, a massive part of it for me. But I'm, I'm not, I don't really like, a, you know, some people are gearheads and get really into effects and things like that. And I kind of hate that stuff. So I use delay and I use reverb. And then occasionally, because, um, you know, I want strong melodies and I want memorable melodies. And that's more important to me than, you know, going, going through some daisy chain of 100 effects pedals or what have you. Um, and then in terms of like synth work, it's processing within the parameters of the, the given synthesizer and how you can contort and manipulate the sounds and then turn them into your own sounds. Do you primarily use like actual synths or soft synths? I use all synths because I like the tactile nature. It's the same reason that I love records and vinyl records. I love touching the knobs and you know, moving the sliders mm -hmm. and having that tactile experience as opposed to, I, I know soft synths can do incredible stuff and, you know, that's totally cool when people are into using them, but I just personally find more inspiration from the tactile experience. Yeah. I, I don't consider myself a synthesizer or player, but I play around with synths and like I've, you know, I use a bunch of stuff on the computer and, and, I've been thinking about getting an actual real synth just to Oh nice. Have you looked into any specific ones that you're thinking about? No, nah, I was going to ask you what <laughs> what's what's <laughs> like a recommendation because I don't know anything about shopping for one. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not this uh this tech guy where I'm always reading about the newest synths and so forth. A lot of times I hear about things from friends of mine that follow it closely and like, "Oh, did you hear about this synth or that synth?" So I'm not up on the latest. Um, I I have a a, a Prophet Rev Two 16 voice that I really love, and to me that's like a perfect blend of of you know kind of analog style synthesis, but in digital form. Right. Um, that you can you know save sounds and create sounds easily and so forth. And, you know, then then I'll have more traditional like Roland Juno kind of kit keyboards for when you need traditional electronic string arrangements and different piano sounds and organ sounds and things like that. Uh, and then I have, you know, some other pieces that are kind of in between. As much as I love monophonic analog synthesizers, um, I don't really go to them frequently because of their, their limitations, you know. Uh, I prefer polyphony sound, polyphonic sound, and um, you know, getting really full sound that have a lot of layers. You know, like for instance, at like Nightlands, um, you know, when I was when I was performing all those those different live scores uh, to the, all the fabulous readers, um, you know, I can't do what I do in the studio where I have all these different layers and I'm playing different tracks to myself from the playback. So it's really important to have massive sounds within one sound. So you have say one sound that you're playing live and, um, and you know, uh, how, how big can you make that sound? And, you know, that's kind of a process that I'm going through um, right now to, you know, maximize the potential 
for the Cadabra uh, live events at the end of September and beginning of October. And then also um, I'm performing the following weekend again with Robert Lloyd Perry and also Andrew Lehman, who I performed with for the Lovecraft stuff at the, uh, so I'm going to Portland, Oregon, October 6th through 8th for the entirety of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. So I was kindly invited to perform um, two pieces with Robert during that weekend in Portland. And one of them is going to be the Willows again. And then we're, we're also um, going to do uh, another piece. And then um, with Andrew Lehman, we're performing Beyond the Wall of Sleep, which we, uh, Andrew and I did a Cadaver Records of. And then we're also going to do um, a shorter piece called the, the Cats of Ulthar. Oh, yeah. And um, because there's there's going to be a, a discussion of some kind around um, Lovecraft and cats. So the Cats of Ulthar is a, is a tie-in, a little tie-in and nod to that discussion that's going to take place during that weekend. And, you know, so it's, it's a film festival, but they have, so for people that are in or around Portland or might just be interested in traveling to some degree, it's um, it's a film festival of Lovecraftian inspired and direct Lovecraft related films. But then there's also all of these musical uh, performances and live readings. So I'm really excited to continue to play with Robert and then play again with with Andrew. You know, multiple Lovecraft pieces that we haven't played before. So that's that's going to be really cool. And there's also going to be this uh, erotic body horror film called Suitable Flesh that stars Barbara Crampton from from Beyond and Reanimator fame, the Stuart Gordon films. And this is by um, this is a screenplay by Dennis Pioli, who uh, wrote some of those Stuart Gordon films. And um, yeah, it's directed by Joe Lynch. So that's that's premiering in that regional area. And then there's some other Lovecraftian films like Gods of the Deep by Charlie Steed. So there's a lot of things to, to check out those few days. So hopefully uh, see some people. I, I know a few friends that will be there, so it should be cool. Yeah, I, I thought about flying out for that a few months ago, but just uh, just not going to work out with like schedule and things like that. Right oh, cool. yeah. I mean, end of September through October is so insane. Uh, yeah, as, as you know, I, I know you have a bunch of dates coming up and, and shows and stuff, and that's cool. And actually, uh, before I forget, um, I'm really hoping to go to your New York show. Wow. I believe it's the 14th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Gold um, Sounds. I'm, yep. I'm going to be in New York that weekend for the WFMU Record Fair. Oh, wow. Um, oh, that's another so one. Wow. Oh, great. Yeah, let me know yeah, for sure. On. Yeah, that's going on that that weekend, the the, four, the 14th and 15th. And when I lived in New York for about 10 years, that was a highlight of every single year. Um, so I always, as a record maniac, I always love going to the WFMU Record Fair. It's the best record show I've ever been to. I've gotten so many gems over the years there. So yeah, so I'm, I'm psyched that, that it, it aligns with uh, the show that you're playing, so... Uh, yeah, I, I hope I'll, you make I'll it. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll be there. Yeah. We, uh, we, uh, after a lull of, uh, inactivity, we're, we're getting back on, on the saddle. So, uh, it's good. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. We're yeah. Uh, going to be recording another album later this year too. So that's another nice. reason to stick around home and not be on the road. So, yeah. So there's like some tri-state, tri-state area dates and then, and then a few others. Yeah. After. There's just, uh, the tri-state dates and, uh, 
there's a show around Halloween that we're playing out on Long Island with uh that's like a release record release show for a band that's good friends of ours called uh Restless Spirit. And uh and then we were well there <laughs> Did Jeremy do art for Restless Spirit or am I thinking of a, a similarly titled I don't, I don't believe so. I don't think Jeremy okay. did art for them. Um Yeah, so we were there was like some unfortunate tour uh disappointments this year and um so that's why there is this big lull in our it's normally we're out on the road all the time you know and right right but uh well yeah. the last few years have been so strange yeah you know, yeah like you know it's hard but, to predict how to do stuff yeah so that's part of it but now it's like okay, we're just trying to continue or complete writing and pre-production on a new record so that's it's good that we weren't traveling and touring and stuff so much yeah no uh absolutely and and now you you know have this energy going into the the record so that's super cool yeah it's been the i've been working on this material for a while so it's uh it's been gone going through a bunch of different iterations and revisions and uh you know some songs have like five or six different demo versions of them before we actually sit down with the band to work it out Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you cool. Know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's weird because my process is is so solitary. Um, even though I work very closely with with Barry, who I was talking about earlier, um, and even when I bring people in here and there, I haven't really been doing it in the last few years. I've been doing pretty much everything myself in terms of all the instrumentation with Barry producing everything, and you know, occasionally he'll throw in a bass line or um, do, do some kind of backing arrangement. But I, I've pretty much been handling all the instrumentation for the last several years uh, for all the different records. But um, beca because of that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not like really within a band context. So I'm kind of foreign to that. Like uh, on, that, on that Providence label, Yugith Records, I did a solo record called Phantom Flowers and you know it's it's really just kind of helming everything from writing the lyrics to um to uh singing the songs and some are instrumental some are not but it's it's kind of um a lot of different instrumentation everything from kind of extreme sounding electric guitar work to um kind of haunting uh synthesizer fragments and drone music and it kind of runs the gamut where where did you get your background doing all this stuff like did you are you like one of these guys who went to like berkeley or like you know or something like that like because i'm so impressed by the stuff that you're doing oh well thanks man um I, you know i was i i was kind of teaching myself as much as i could be a sponge for as a, as a teenager so I was just very, um, I was very involved in obsessively reading everything that I could, watching everything that I could when it came to cinema, and um, and listening to as much music as I could. And I grew up in Central Jersey, so I was in between New York City and Philadelphia. So it was it was actually a great location because whenever there was stuff of interest, even when I was still in high school and whatnot. You know, I would go to, to either city and just kind of explore. And then, you know, this is pre-internet and all of that. So it's, you know, it's like anything. It's like the old school way 
of making connections where you're just looking at every single thing in the liner notes of a record that you have, or, you know, picking up zines to hear about weird fiction or unusual uh, cinema or, you know, uh, kind of um, uh, cult, cult music or whatever it is. So, yeah, but, but I, did, I did go to art school. I went to SUNY Purchase, which is a state, state university of New York at Purchase, and it's right outside of, of New York City. And that's where I studied uh, film and, and film history, filmmaking and, and sound design, uh, production, scoring, things like that. I was going to say that SUNY Purchase actually has um, a you know, pretty well-known for film. And some of the alumni of SUNY Purchase have gone on to pretty significant roles in film. I think, I want to say they like Edie Falco or something like that went to SUNY Purchase. That, that sounds right. I forget who all of the assorted alumni are, but there's been a lot of directors that have come out of, out of Purchase and a lot of actors. And, you know, it's, it's a performing arts school and conservatory. So you have people there that are doing, um, you know, very specific things. I, I never wanted to limit myself to one specific thing. So I was able to kind of create my own course of study that combined cinema and music. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how I got into all this assorted stuff. That's cool, man. I, I, you know, I've, I've always wondered about that because, uh, you know, some people um, that I know like are these went to school for like performance so they can play not only one style of music, but all these, they know about like world music and all jazz and classical and everything. And I only get to experience one tiny sliver of their creative abilities. You know, I was just curious if that was like your story as well. Well, you know, also like I was, uh, I, I was a DJ for around 10 years or so starting in when I was in high school because I lived the town over from Princeton and I was right near Princeton University. And um, they have a very powerful on the radio dial, um, old fashioned uh, you know, radio station that you can get throughout much of New Jersey into Philadelphia, et cetera, in terms of the, the range that where you can get in, you can dial it in. So um, I just kind of called up the station manager one day and said, you know, I, I think I have kind of eclectic taste and I'd, I'd be interested in doing a show. And then he's like, all right, come by and let's talk. And we talked for five minutes and I kind of told him the kind of stuff that I was into at the time, you know, listening to a lot of stuff like nurse with wound and, um, you know, some various like black metal and, um, uh, you know, like Krautrock music and pretty, pretty different stuff. A lot of, you know, out jazz stuff. And uh, he was like, all right, you have a show. And then he showed me the board for five minutes and how to do things. And he's like, you get it? And I was like, yep, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I had done, cool. you know, four track recordings and things like that at that time already. So I understood the mechanisms. And then I had a show for, for a while or a few different shows over the course of 10 years. That's awesome, man. It's a great story. I um I for a while I was doing stuff with Gimme Radio where I had like twice a month I had my own hour to play uh to play music and stuff too. It's it's a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of I mean, I was already on the record kick 
where, you know, I was spending all of the money that I had from odd jobs to get records and, and so forth. Um, but then it, it really put it over the edge when you're doing a three hour show every, every single week, you know, and you're like, all right, I got to play new stuff. I got to keep it fresh. And yeah, people would kind of be bewildered or angry or just perplexed a lot of the time because, you know, when you, when you think about college radio or what have you, people kind of put themselves in a box a lot of the time, you know, like you're the doom metal show or you're the jazz show or the classical show or the experimental show. And I would kind of put it, wrap it all up in a ball. Um, I was, and, and do all of it. And, you know, it was, it was kind of head scratching for a lot of listeners. Um, Cause you know, a big, a huge inspiration for me was Steven Stapleton's nurse with wound list. Yeah. And this was the list that he created the listeners that might not have heard about it, you know, his very first record chance meeting on a dissecting table of a sewing machine and umbrella. Um, he put together this list of all of these crazy musical projects and composers. And it was, it was everything from like psychedelic kraut rock bands playing, you know, like stoner rock and things like that to weird folk music to composers like Lamont Young and Terry Riley, to, you know, um, everything in between. And that was a, a huge inspiration on, on how I listen to things. And even beyond that, just like how I approach everything that speaks to me in life, because it's, it's not limiting yourself to the confines of categories. And, you know, it's kind of like with cinema too. Like I love um, kind of that that blurred world that exists between art film and exploitation and everything in between and films that, you know, what what that what the hell is this film? You know, like a film like Andrzej Zawowski's Possession. Yes. You know, where it throws people for a loop, and you know, those are kind of a lot of the most profound experiences that I've had in my life, where. I experienced something that's just so powerful that I don't, I don't know exactly how I feel about it immediately, but I know I've just experienced something important that I love and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to keep going back to it. And that's whether it's, you know, a film like possession or, um, the, the late artist Scott Walker and his album tilt, uh, from 1995 or 1996, which, you know, mixes beautiful, sweeping, orchestral, kind of classical-inspired arrangements with, um, you know, field recordings and music concrete elements and um, these, these very unusual vocals and, um, you know, nightmarish industrial kind of sounds of chains and things like that. And that's what I'm into is, is that space in between where you, you don't know quite what it is yeah the possession is um that rates real really high with uh with us in general with the guys i collaborate here at everything went black and also over at uh my other uh, necromaniacs part podcast oh yeah i yeah. mean andre Zulowski's body of work is just one of the most inspiring bodies of work of of any artistic medium that I can think of. And, you know, really even right out of the gate, his first film as a director, the third part of the night, it's just such an impressive 
out of the gate vision where his directorial style was just so strong and um, clear. And, you know, like, like kind of like Dario Argento and him doing Bird with the Crystal Plumage, I actually think Third Part of the Night is even more impressive as a directorial debut of just kind of embodying what someone's work would be over the course of time and uh, from a visual standpoint, from a thematic standpoint and so forth. So I'm really excited that over the years, because I've been a really long time Zhuowski fan, I'm really excited that more and more people have been turned on to his body and work. And some of his films that have gotten lesser attention are getting more and more attention, you know, such as um, Third Part of the Night, as I just said, but also The Devil and On the Silver Globe. And they actually all came out in the UK within the last couple of months um, by the 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 company Eureka. Um, they put out like a special edition with a bunch of, of supplemental features and documentaries and so forth. Have you ever checked out uh, the that French Extremity, like those films from like the late nineties into like the two thousands or like maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine? I think that kind of vibe like ended. Yeah, you know, most most of them don't speak to me on a on a big level. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. Like as I get older, I I become a little more squeamish in terms of you know, seeing uh, really brutal violence and things of that nature. And I was never really that into it in the first place. But um, Martyrs is a film that I think is fascinating. It, it doesn't completely work for me on all levels, but I really respect that director. And I think that he's made a lot of um, really interesting films. And it's, 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 it's odd because he's never made a film that works for me completely but um i really think that he's an interesting voice in horror and um you know uh that ghostland film that he made uh i, I love the music that was put together for that there's a, a classical pianist i forget his name but it's just absolutely beautiful haunting lyrical piano pieces and then kind of coupled with I think someone else or a group of people that did more like kind of soundscape work and it kind of bleeds into each other throughout the film. So I thought the the music and sound design was, was really amazing in that. Yeah. That's uh Pascal Logier. I believe. Yes. So, yeah. He's yeah. um, yeah, he did uh, Mar martyrs is, I think the pinnacle of like all those movies. And I would throw in Claire Denis. So like some of her work, um, oh yeah, you know, trouble yeah! I love day. trouble every day. Hell yeah. yeah! I mean, those are the ones that I really like—the ones that are like, I mean, especially trouble every day, which is like it's almost like a just a drama with like these horrific elements to it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's a that's a really powerful kind of primal film. Um, yeah, but in terms of in terms of like the French fantastique, I'm more into um, the '70s strain. Okay. Uh, you know, like, like, like Jean Roland, um, he's more like kind of a sensitive poetic figure where have you, have you seen any of his stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. It's not coming to mind, but I've, I've seen a bunch of uh, his movies. Yeah. I mean, he made all of these, these vampire films, specifically lesbian vampire films. And, you know, they have very kind of more of a feminine energy. Um, yet they're incredibly dreamlike hallucinatory at times and surrealistic 
And uh, I love kind of the combination of, of poetry and um, kind of this, this haunted, surreal reality that occupies the space within many of his films. And he has all of these recurring images and places that he would go, like the French beaches that he returns to time and time again. And I, I just find his work very moving and, and beautiful and um, odd. Uh, fascination. That's the one I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah. That, that's. Yeah. I was trying to like conjure up the name of the of the uh, the vampire movie that uh, that I like by him. That's it. Yeah. Fascination, right? Yeah. It's that classic scene of uh, Brigitte Leahy uh, with the wielding the the scythe on a a bridge or a moat or something like that um, near a castle. You know, it's like his films are very much kind of stuck in ancient times yeah whether they're whether they're set in the past or the present he also did some of the emmanuel films too i think right um i i forget exactly i think it might have been kind of like like unofficial spin-offs or something like yeah. that uh, yeah yeah i for a while he was kind of like taking what he could get um but you know he had a, a really strong run in the seventies of uh, really making deeply personal, unique films. And, you know, even at the end of his life, he was, he was still going strong. Even if it was a micro budget, he continued to make um, such personal films. So really respect that, you know, it's similar for, for someone like Jess Franco, who, um, you know, made just countless, unbelievable amounts of personal, uh, unusual films that, you know, the writer Stephen Thrower has exhaustively covered in, in his two books on Franco um, that are both uh, essential reading if you're a Jess Franco fan. Yeah, that's awesome. I got to check. Uh, I try to catch up with those books. Well, Chris, thanks a lot for uh, spending time on the show, man. It was great catching up. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it. And I, I failed to, is it okay to just mention a, a few things? odds and ends yeah yeah go ahead man of course yeah. quickly there's a few things that i forgot to take your time it doesn't have to be quickly expand on oh, as much as you want so um actually there's one other event that i wanted to highlight so you were at the, the book restoration bindery for the pictures of apocalypse book and record release um in Haddonfield, new jersey so on friday october 13th um uh so it's a, it's a beautiful uh space with a lot of atmosphere um, it's a it's a book bindery and, and bookstore that Dominique Alessi runs, and um, Vignette Noel Lamont will be doing a a um, a night that's titled Victorian Ghost Stories, oh. and we'll be covering Victorian ghost stories over the over time, and you know um, dealing with that literature and how uh, ghost stories dealt with you know, things like anxiety and um, the struggles and challenges of daily life and, and things of that nature. And I'll actually be um, performing kind of atmospheric music in, in some way uh, during that night. So that's uh, Friday, October 13th. And um, it's the title of the event is called Victorian Ghost Stories at Book Restoration Bindery. Um, and then... Um, yeah, so I, I hope to see people at the Cadabra events that are September 30th and October 1st, because um, that's really exciting. And then the October 6th through 8th, H.P. Lovecraft 
Film Festival in Portland, Oregon. And um, yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of great Cadabra stuff coming out. So um, a very quick recap on some stuff to look forward to. Um, there's the, the Flowers of Evil, Start of the Haunt series that I was talking about earlier. Um, and then further, um, there's going to be John William Polidori's The Vampire, which Lawrence R. Harvey also read and I did the soundtrack for. And that is actually the first English language story written about, um, you know, vampires as we know it. That's before Stoker's Dracula. And um, so that's another really cool release. Jeremy uh, Hush did amazing art for that. Oh, and Baud the Baudelaire Flowers of Evil record, um, Paul Romano did the art for that. So um, he did just really haunting and beautiful work. And uh, yeah, and then also, um, uh, please, uh, if, if anyone is interested, um, go to Yageth Records and check out the collaborative project, uh, Seer with Peter Spartabello. And then I have the Fan Flowers album up on Yageth as well. And then there's also some like really awesome uh, dungeon synth projects. So the kind of subgenre of black metal that's electronic based. So there's everything from the French duo Archimist that's inspired. All their works are inspired by the writings of Clark Ashton Smith. Then there's Radagast and then an Italian project called Scepter that just came out. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Oh, and then one final thing that I forgot is uh, kind of, uh, 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 I don't think this has been officially announced, so breaking it here, that there will be a Halloween Cadaver release that is H.P. Lovecraft's Halloween in the Suburb 7-inch that Andrew Lehman reads and uh i did the, the soundtrack for that too a so that'll be right around, right around halloween time ton of stuff coming out that's awesome yeah so thank you uh mike so much for for having me on and this has been a really fun and great discussion and uh yeah i'm psyched psyched to see you uh at the cadaver show and then again um in new york city for for the tomb show Ah, it's going to be great, man. Looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, that's coming up, man. All that stuff's weeks away at this point. Absolutely. It feels so good to be done with this horrible summer season <laughs> and, and you know, break into the fall. You know, I've been trying to exercise a lot. And um, let the, the last week of like 90 degree weather, I just couldn't bring myself to go out in the heat and keep, you know, walking 10,000, 15,000 steps a day and whatnot. It's like, I'm taking this week off because I can't stand the summer anymore and bring on the fall. So it's great that it's quickly approaching the best time of the year and the best month of the year, et cetera. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. I'll see you, uh, see you right. in a couple of weeks, man. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. You too.